Hey guys, it's Al, but we've got a fantastic show for you this week. To start with the takeaways, we've got a great guest to talk Brady and the Bucks and the Patriots too. We got Fabs in for our DraftKings segment, and as always, we get to your questions in the six pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. It's the Albert Breer Show. It is week 12 now. Week 11's in the books. Week 12, we're right on the doorstep. We got two games, not three, coming tomorrow. This is sort of indicative of where the NFL season is, where we're going, um, where we've been. Um, the Ravens, uh, their increasing number of positive tests and close contacts caused the league to move their game with the Steelers back. This happened in the last hour or so before I recorded the, before recording this. Um, so the Ravens and Steelers are going to play on Sunday. The Lions and Texans in Washington and Dallas will play on Thursday. So we get two, not three uh, Thanksgiving Day games. That makes this a little bit of a throwback. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know how much more there is to say about this. This is what it's going to be. They're going to do everything they can to get every game played as scheduled. Um, I think the fact that this was a Thursday game gave them the leeway to move the game back to Sunday. It sucks for the Steelers because the second time it's happened to them, you may remember they were the other team um, in the Titan situation earlier in the year. Uh, so they, you know, I, again, like this is a tough situation for those guys, um, but it sort of is what it is and it's what the NFL is doing. And it's the way the NFL is going to move forward. And they had a little flexibility here. If this was going into a Sunday game, I don't know if they'd move it because they don't have the leeway of the bye weeks anymore. Um, you know, so it is what it is. Um, so we got a great show coming for you this week. We've got a fantastic guest to break down. You know, Tom Brady, what's happening in Tampa, the effect it's had on New England, all of that different stuff. We've got Fabs. We got our DraftKings segment with Fabs and um, you know, our Stardom Sidem, and of course, we'll answer all your questions in the mailbag. But we're going to kick things off with the takeaways like we always do. And my first takeaway off of week 11, I, Patrick Mahomes is just like on a totally different level. And I know this isn't the first time I've said this, but it's just it feels easy right now for him. Like you watch everything and it, it's like a pitcher who can throw 100 but like can also throw 98 and it make it look easy. And, you know, when he throws 87 it sort of looks the same as his 98 mile an hour fastball on Sunday against the Raider against the Raiders he was 34 of 45 for 348 yards and two touchdowns threw a pick to um, you know towards uh, here's what I would say like the Colts that team has or the Chiefs that team has learned to play um, different ways to win different ways and we've seen the defense play well over the course this year we've seen them score on special teams um, we've seen them run the ball fairly well. So we've seen them you know, play the game in different ways. They're not as reliant as they were on Mahomes for the majority of last year. They're not as reliant on Mahomes as they were for basically all of the 2018 season. Um, but I think what we saw on Sunday is they can pull that lever whenever they want to, which makes them particularly scary. I mean, the fact that um, you know, we haven't seen the Chiefs need to sort of pull this card all year, and now we're seeing what happens when they do pull it. Ace, I mean, like, look, I know the Steelers are 10-0. and 0. Um, The Steelers deserve a ton of credit for that. I, I don't know how you don't look at the Chiefs as a favorite to win the Super Bowl right now. They are 9-1 coming off of that win over the Raiders and going into Week 12. Uh, my second takeaway, I think we have to start to look at the Patriots for what they are. And I think the perfect example is my own view of 
what happened against Denver, and this was about a month ago now, a little over a month ago, I think. Um, coming into the season, I thought the Broncos were a contender to get Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. I thought this was sort of a rebuilding type of situation. I didn't like what was going on in the offensive line. Losing Von Miller was a big blow. And to their credit, like the Broncos have, have played really pretty well. Like I think Mike Munchak's done a great job with the offensive line there. Vic Fangio's done a good job with the team overall. So the Broncos deserve credit. But I regarded that as a huge upset at the time. I thought the Broncos beating the Patriots, like, my God, that doesn't happen in New England. Oh, now, a few weeks later, they have the same record. The Broncos are four and six. The Patriots are four and six. And it sort of dawned on me when I looked at that. Maybe we just need to start looking at the Patriots for who they are, what they've been all year. Like this is sort of, I think, indicative of of what we've seen. Where I think you're almost waiting for Belichick to pull this lever and for things to change. And I don't know if they're changing. You know, I like losing on on Sunday to a Texans team that came in with just two wins, and both those wins were against Jacksonville, which only has one win. I, like. All of that, all of it was was pretty jarring. And, you know, I, I, I think what we've expected, what we've trained our eyes to see from the Patriots, what, the way we've trained ourselves to watch the Patriots over the last 20 years is that they're never out of it. It's stupid to, to call their season over um, when they go through a tough stretch. Um, you know, at the end of games, you'd always expect them to be able to pull a rabbit out of their hat. I, like, the evidence through 10 games is that this is a totally different outfit without Tom Brady as the quarterback and so i i don't know i look at this and i just immediately think to myself like maybe we need to adjust the way we're looking at the patriots maybe this is actually a rebuilding team and if you look at the talent on the roster i like i don't see too many guys who are under 25 years old 25 or under that are real legitimate building blocks joe tooney's still relatively young but he's probably out of there after this year Isaiah Wynn, I think, is a building block at left tackle for you. Uh, you know, maybe Chase Winovich, maybe Kyle Duggar, like uh, J.C. Jackson. You know, like like you struggle to find guys who you can say definitively that guy's going to be on the team in three or four years, and he's going to be a cornerstone for the franchise going forward. So I think they have a lot of work to do. I don't think this is a result of bad coaching, um, and I don't think it's a result of the quarterback alone either. Like I don't think I don't think this is about the quarterback. I think this is about a place that you know, had the roster sort of erode over the last few years. And, you know, I think some of the older veterans were able to cover that up. And I think last year, it really was Brady sort of lifting a bunch of guys around him up. And now you got a quarterback in Cam Newton, who is a former MVP, but is coming off of basically a year and a half of not playing football. And you're asking him to lift everybody around him up. And it's just, I mean, like, uh, there aren't very many quarterbacks on the planet who can do that, who can lift players up the way that Brady lifted players up when the Patriots had personnel problems the last few years. So, I like. I think we just have to. St- it's still a well-coached team. Like I, I, I it's still. I mean, like a lot of the tenants of the program are still in place. They're just not good enough right now. And I think, you know, to me, like seeing the Patriots next to the Broncos in the standings. And juxtaposing that against how I viewed that game when the Broncos beat the Patriots in Foxborough um, a little over a month ago, it just tells me, like, I have to sort of adjust the way I look at them and accept that this is who the Patriots are. They're a 4-16. and They've played like a 4-16 and for the entire year. My third takeaway, um, you know, there was a moment in the Monday night game 
seeing Tom Brady playing against that Rams defense that threw different looks at him. And look, Brandon Staley's done a great job. Aaron Donald's a great player. Jalen Ramsey's a great player. Like, I want to give the Rams credit for what they did. There was a moment in there, though, where I think you saw frustration from Brady, where you know, he threw the ball into the line. It got tipped. He caught it himself. And he knows in that spot, like, okay, I can't throw the ball. Um, instead of just hitting the deck or dropping the ball, he, he caught it and he hucked it downfield. And I think we've seen these frustration plays from Brady in the past. To me, that was a pure frustration play. And I honestly believe that there are certain things that we're seeing now that are reflective of a guy who is sort of struggling with the system. And we're going to talk to our guests about this, that he's going into. And maybe that that system doesn't have the amount of answers that the system that became his over the last 20 years has. What do I mean by that? Well, I'd say this. The Patriots system was built to never snap the ball into a bad play. Like Brady has been trained, never snap the ball into a bad play. And I don't know whether or not Bruce Arian's system doesn't have those answers or whether or not they haven't gotten to the point in him learning the system that he isn't to those answers or that having those answers might be a little too much on the guys around him. Like, I don't know. One way or another, I don't think he has the answers there and that, that, he's, that he's had for the last 20 years. And so... I don't know that that gets fixed on the fly, man. Like, I think they can still win games because I still think they're really talented. I still think Brady's got bullets left in the gun. Um, but I, I don't know that they can really fix this in a way where they'll be able to, and they'll make the playoffs, but in a way where I think, you know, they're playing on championship weekend. And to me, like, that's been the bar for Brady for such a long time. He played in the AFC championship game nine years in a row. Last year broke that streak. Um, for him to get back to that level, I think would be proof like, hey, like this is exactly what I planned on it being, you know, and then everything after that's gravy. I don't know that they're getting back to that point. And to tie those two points in the Patriots and, and Brady and the Bucks together, I, the bottom line is like those guys were perfect for each other. Bill and Brady were perfect for each other. I, Brady enabled Belichick to run a system that was malleable on a week-to-week basis that was able to change and morph to whatever the team needed to be on a week-to-week basis, which is an incredibly thing, hard thing to do. Um, his willingness to take tough coaching and his willingness to get MF'd in, in, in front of a room enabled Belichick to run a tough, unrelenting program that was consistent on a week-to-week and year-to-year basis. On the flip side, Belichick's system maximized Brady as a player having the receivers that they did who were capable of running the option routes that they were allowed Brady to, 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 to reach a level that was really difficult for defenses to compete with um, with his receivers. You know, some of the answers that the Patriots offense gave him, like being able to call out the mic. Now, people think that's the mic linebacker. What Brady is doing is he's identifying the, thir- the fifth rusher. What does that do? Well, that means if you can efficiently block the five guys coming, you can maybe send another player or two, another skill player or two out into the route. Now that changes the math on the back end. Just all these little things that like have maximized Brady as a player. Now those aren't there anymore. So that's my take. My, my general takeaway from takeaway two and takeaway three is th- those two guys were perfect for each other. And it's okay to say it was both of them the last 20 years. It was both of them. They were perfect for each other. Okay. My third take, my fourth takeaway, I just awful to see what happened with Joe Burrow in DC on Sunday. And I can just tell you um, my experience just like having 
talked to him a little bit over the last eight or nine months. Um, having talked to a lot of people in that building, kid's future is as bright as, like, like just as bright as I think any quarterback we've seen come into the league over the last decade, save for maybe Andrew Luck. The reason why I think the way that he was playing is sustainable. Um, there weren't there weren't tricks to it. There weren't gadgets. There weren't like. And again, like the way you develop quarterbacks has become a little bit different because you are adjusting to what you know. You're adjusting to what the quarterback does more so um, than you used to. So you're giving him scheme stuff to kind of get him comfortable and get him rolling. Uh, you know, but a lot of that stuff, when you do it, a lot of that stuff isn't sustainable. The way Joe Burrow was playing was sustainable, and I, you know, God, I hope they get him back. My real big takeaway on that, though. Just whenever we're assessing young quarterbacks, look at the situation they're walking into, okay? And I think you can see it with the three second-year quarterbacks that were in the running for the MVP the last couple of years, right? Um, and the first one was Carson Wentz. His tackles in Philly, um, that second year, Jason Peters and Lane Johnson. His coaches, Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, John Filippo. Like, just an outstanding situation. They didn't need him to be Superman. And as a result, he sort of was Superman, right, that year. 2018, Patrick Mahomes wins the MVP. His tackles were Eric Fisher and Mitch Schwartz. He was throwing to Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins. Um, That year, he had Kareem Hunt behind him. um, And he has Andy Reid. He had Matt Nagy his first year in the league. He has Eric Bieniemy. Good situation. Baltimore Ravens, same thing. First year as a full-time starter. Um, First year that he was a starter the whole year. His tackles, Lamar's tackles, were Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown. He's throwing to Hollywood Brown. He's throwing to Mark Andrews. He's throwing to Hayden Hurst. He's got Mark Ingram behind him. He's got Greg Roman, who's a perfect offensive coordinator for him, pulling the strings. I think you're seeing some of it with Kyler Murray now, who's got DJ Humphreys uh, in front of him at left tackle, who is throwing to DeAndre Hopkins, who has a coach who's perfect for him in Cliff Kingsbury. To me, the takeaway on Burrow is the, the the situation around the player is so key. And Burrow, I think, has good coaching infrastructure around him, but doesn't have the personnel in front of him. And we see how that can kind of make things go haywire. And here's hoping that the Bengals make a massive investment in their offensive line over the next nine, ten months before Joe Burrow gets out there in the field. Finally, my fifth takeaway. I picked the Colts to go to the playoffs before the year. I believe in the job that they're doing there. And I think one of the reasons why people have underrated them is because they don't believe in Phillip Rivers as a quarterback. I get it. I understand that. I think the Colts, again, when Andrew Luck was playing, I said that they had dynasty potential. Now, because Andrew Luck isn't there anymore, I, I don't know if I'd go that far anymore. But like, you look at the young talent that's being accumulated there. And it's Julian Blackman at safety. It's Rocky Sin um, at, at corner. It's... Kenny Moore, it's Kari Willis in the secondary, it's Darius Leonard and Bobby Okariki and Anthony Walker at linebacker, it's DeForest Buckner on the defensive line, it's Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly on the offensive line, it's Jack Doyle at tight end, it's Michael Pittman, it's Jonathan Taylor, it's that is a team that is going to keep getting better and better and better. What you're seeing right now isn't a fluke. They're going to have to answer the question long-term of who their quarterback is, and that's the situation that they wound up in after the Andrew Luck thing. But I love where that Colts team is from a personnel standpoint. And if somehow they could like a finagle 
you know, a move up. And remember, Chris Ballard was in Kansas City as the scouting process happened with Patrick Mahomes. Now, he didn't wasn't there when they traded for him, but he was there for that scouting process of Patrick Mahomes. If they could make a move up for, I mean, God, if they could go up and get Justin Fields, look out. But even if they could go and wind up with, you know, let's, let's say a Zach Wilson winds up being that sort of prospect or a Trey Lance. I, I'm telling you, like, 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 if they could get a young quarterback in there, that would be a team that, 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 that could be a team, again, I think there would be dynasty potential. Maybe it's Sam Darnold. We'll see. Wouldn't that be ironic if the team that traded away the pick that became Sam Darnold winds up getting Sam Darnold three years later? All right, so those are my five takeaways for the week, and we will be back with our special guest right after this. All right, now we're going to welcome in a good friend of mine. And, I, like, Jim, I can't believe we haven't had you on yet, so I'm glad we're doing this. He's from Sirius XM Radio. He played in the NFL, and I want to make sure I have this right, 12 years, right? Yeah, 12 years. Uh, yep, Steelers, Jaguars, Falcons, Lions. He was the Bears starter for a while, the Bucks, the Patriots, and wrapped it up with the Giants in 2005. He's Jim Miller. Jim, thanks for coming out. You bet, Albert. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Hope everybody's well. You too. You too. So I, I want to start where, uh, you know, I think where the discussion is this morning. And, uh, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, Monday night, they suffered their fourth loss of the year. Brady throws a game-ending interception at the end to a guy who I believe is 20 years younger than him. Um, I, I want to, like, because you played with the guy. Um, obviously, you know him. You've had a relationship with him. Um are there signs of trouble with Brady right now based on what you're watching? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, one, he's, you can see that he's pressing. He's forth, forcing things. Obviously, the two interceptions can't happen last night where he forced it into coverage where he should just be coming off and, and dumping the ball uh, off underneath. But what I find interesting, Albert, it's like that offense, they haven't found their, their niche or things that they can hang their hat on. I mean, even look at last night. Who got the most targets? It was Antonio Brown. Right. Antonio Brown's only been with the team, what, three weeks? And here he's getting the most targets. So that just seems disjointed to me. You know, and I know they were putting Jalen Ramsey a lot of times on Mike Evans, but that shouldn't scare Tom from going away from Mike Evans. So they just really, to me, haven't settled in and gotten into a rhythm. And I think when you look at Byron Leftwich, I don't think he's really called plays that Tom wants to bring to the table. I see Tom, he's checking the no-look passes and all those things that he's always done. But in terms of their overall offense, to me, they haven't sorted it out yet when I see Tampa Bay play. So do you think the offense is a bad fit for him? Well, I'm not saying the offense is a bad fit. I just don't think they're calling plays that fits uh, Tom's personalities. Here, you know, you look at Tom's beat, deep balls down the middle, and I thought a couple times Tom was late on some throws. Like Gronkowski, there was there was one over the middle of the, of the field a couple times. Tom was late to pull the trigger. So I think Tom's not quite in sync yet. You know, and here we are at, at week 10 and going on uh, week 11. You know, I thought it would have it would have sped up faster than that, than, than where it's currently at for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How much of that is like, how much of that is a guy who was in one offense for 20 years going somewhere else? Because you switch teams a lot. So, yeah. you, you know, you know what it's like. But this is a guy who hasn't done that. And, right. you know, what I always hear from people who've come through New England is it can be a little hard to adapt to other places just because they're very specific in the way that they do things. Right. Yeah. So like how much of it do you think you can chalk up to that, to the fact that he is coming from a place that is that way. And now for the first time, I mean, since he was at Michigan, he's, he's doing something else. Yeah. No, I think you bring up a good point, Albert. Like when I first did it, it probably took me 
about that amount of time, eight to 10 weeks to finally get the offense of the new team that I was on underneath my belt. Obviously I spent uh, however long it was three years in Pittsburgh before I went to Jacksonville and yes, some concepts carried over, but probably it, it took me, you know, about four or five games to get it completely under wraps. And I think for Tom, Right now is about the time it, everything should start clicking for him because the more I, I went around the NFL, it became easier and easier to adapt to it. Meaning then when I went to a different team, I could pick up the offense in, in a matter of a, of a couple weeks, went to another place. It was even easier uh, the, the next time. So Tom is in uncharted territory right now and it can't feel comfortable for him. It's a, uh, you know, it's an uncomfortable feeling. It's almost got to be like a, because I build houses, it's got to be like a blueprint. When you say yeah. the play, it just lights up in your head and you <laughs> see the blueprint. Tom has done that in the same offense for 20 years. Now he's learning a different blueprint. Blueprint, And it doesn't come as fast as what, he, what it did uh, previously. And the only other guy I could say was similar was Brett Favre. Think of all the years in Green Bay. He went to the Jets, and believe it or not, Eric Mangini was a coach there. Uh, uh, Brett Favre wasn't picking up the offense. They actually had to switch over to Green Bay's offense. And here, once they did that, he was rated the number one quarterback in the league. But Tom's not in that boat. Tom is learning the Bruce Arians offense. And I don't think that blueprint is pulling up as quickly as it should just yet. Well, yeah, like like it's like when Peyton went to Denver, right? Like that they, I, like it felt like they played with the idea of like like let's merge the offenses. And I think like Mike McCoy and Adam Gase, like it got to a point there where they were like, let's just do what he does well, right? Mm-hmm. Like I mean, like is that what like is that the realization the BA and and Byron need to come to? Then is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I think because yeah. you know I do. I see the shorter passes, like I said, the no look throws. Tom did that all the time in New England. I see that stuff being incorporated into the offense, but it's not like they're overhauling everything. I think they should transfer it even more to what Tom Brady has done well. And obviously, he's got a lot of world championships under his belt, but you can see he doesn't and feel entirely, and he doesn't look entirely comfortable. Is what I get, and even watching the game last night. Can you see his age at all? Um, no, I think the ball, his release and stuff, I think it's coming out of his hand. I just think sometimes because it's not registering the play and what he's reading, it's not all there for him. To me, the ball could have come out a lot faster on some throws last night. The two and the, uh, to the interceptions, obviously he knows right. he can't make those throws. I mean, those are just bad decisions by Tom Brady. So, like, I, I, it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's almost like for a quarterback, it's like, it's like when they say, like, you – like you know, you grow up here and you learn Spanish. Well, then once you get Spanish under your belt, maybe it's easier to learn French and German, right? Like, like that, like it's once you, so if you've never done it before, right? Like, so like you teach a kid at a young age, like, all right, like, you know, in elementary school, you're going to take Spanish, take Spanish. Well, then that guy, that kid's going to learn French and German, like when it like easier when he's in middle school or high school, whereas like if a kid doesn't learn a second language until he's in high school, now all of a sudden it's much harder. Yeah, no, I agree. Probably the best example to correlate Tom Brady to compare Philip Rivers and Tom Brady right now. Right. Philip Rivers was with Frank Wright out there with the Chargers. Yep. Fr- Frank already knows what that guy can and cannot do, and they speak the same language already. So it's been a need to me an easier transition for Philip Rivers than what has been for Tom Brady. Yes, Leftwich and Bruce Arians know him from afar, but they don't speak the same language yet. And so that's why I think it's taken longer for Tom when you compare him, say, to a guy at Philip Rivers. That's probably the two best examples right there for comparison.
Can you explain to people like how specific Tom is about what he wants? Because I, I like I I know like I've heard the stories before about how if it's not like he likes it, he'll freeze a receiver out. Right? You mentioned how he like kind of like locked in on Antonio Brown last last night. Like how like can do like do you remember that like working with and he was real obviously he's way younger when he was working with you, um, I think twenty six twenty seven years old when you were there. But think about this, Albert. Yeah. Even when I was there, think about how long that was uh, ago back in two thousand what four whatever that was. Tom ran the wide receiver meeting room. You yeah. know, so like we would go down like we met at that point. Josh McDaniels was kind of working with the quarterbacks. Bill Belichick ran our quarterback meetings. Uh, Charlie Weiss was the OC, but Bill Belichick ran our quarterback meetings. Literally every day we met with the head coach at 9 a.m. Then we would break about 11 a.m. Tom would go down to the receivers. He'd walk through every single route. Hey, guys, this is how I want this run. And Tom, basically, Brian Dable was the wide receivers coach, now the OC of the Buffalo Bills. But Tom ran that meeting room. Hey, guys, this is what I'm thinking on this specific third down play. Say whether it's to Deion Branch or David Givens and uh, David Patton. I mean, that was the trio of receivers there. And those guys were on the same page because Tom ran the meeting. So, is that uncommon? Uh, yeah, I think that's uncommon. <laughs> I never heard that. That's really interesting. I never heard that. Like that sounds uncommon. Yeah, that's very uncommon. Like for, for me, like when I was in Chicago, we had a gr- group of uh, young receivers. When you look at uh, uh, Marty Booker and, mm-hmm. and Des White, and we drafted David Terrell. But Todd Haley was our wide receivers coach. Tom would come or uh, Todd Haley would come out to the field and said, "Hey Jim, this is how I'm telling him to run that route." And so I got the I got the feedback from. From uh, the receivers, Haley. right here, Tom Brady's do telling the guys what to do. So yeah. yes, I thought that was very uncommon, and that's not normal uh, around the NFL. So if he's looking for that kind of detail, then like going somewhere else, I would assume there might be a level of frustration if that place is lacking that detail, well, right? Because like I I would, think, well, I, here's what I think: I think Bruce Arians is a very strong personality, right? Well, yeah, th- that's fine. You may have done it in New England that way, but. This is the way I've always done it. I've coached right. a long time too, Tom. You know that's yeah. what yeah. Bruce is saying. Yeah, Bruce is like, wait a minute, buddy. Like I was coaching while you were in diapers. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so you've got two very strong personalities that I think haven't quite meshed yet. Is what I'm thinking. Do you, do they have enough time to fix it? Yeah, I do. I think they have enough time, and they've got the talent to do it. I think yeah. they just gotta. To me, like I said, you gotta you got always got to be able to hang your hat on something. Certainly, certain things are going to be game plan specific, but it seems like they're still not on the same page with some of their basic stuff and how they're going to run it. Now, whether like I said, I thought Tom was late on a couple reads that the yeah. balls could have been completed. Whether it's and that's a guy he knows in Gronkowski that I thought he was late to a middle shot over the field. So to me, it's got to register faster. Yep. The language still isn't really quite clicking with what Tom is seeing and what he's trying to apply on the field. All right, let's go to where he left then, where right now they're four and six. It it doesn't look like a Patriot team. You know, like I think you're seeing some stuff. Like it doesn't, it, it just, like based on what I'm looking at at least, like like you're seeing some things, especially like the way they perform in critical situations, which they've owned for 20 years, right? Like the big spots, they own those spots. It doesn't look quite the same. Like, so, you know, based on what you're looking at and seeing that operation, the way it's normally run, how much of it is just the subtraction of Tom and how much of it do you think is the roster, the rest of the roster kind of being an issue? Yeah, I I think there's, there's no doubt it's things are being called differently. They are driven through the run game. 
mm-hmm. right now. I think Cam has been better. I think he feels more comfortable uh, since he's been back from uh, when he went on the, the COVID list. Uh, I thought he played really well against the Seattle Seahawks, but you kind of take that with a grain of salt because Seattle's defense was at that point last in the, in the National Football League. And so he threw the ball very well there. But I think they've had to adapt and adjust with Cam because this is a different type of offense than Cam even knows. I mean, this is more game plan specific than I think he was ever really exposed to uh, with the, the the Carolina Panthers. It was probably better under Norv Turner in terms of the, how game plan specific it was, but not as detailed as what the Patriots uh, have been. I think the Patriots have scaled it back quite a bit for him, and now they're trying to expand it. Right. Him, but you see, they're trying to manufacture things. You know, they're trying to, you know, they're throwing reverse passes for touchdowns. I mean, <laughs> look at how creative they've tried to be to manufacture passing offense in the, the New England Patriots. I think they run the ball fine, but now they're trying to find ways to be more creative and expand that passing game right now. You think Cam's the same guy? Um, no, I, I think we all know he, you know, he does have some tread on the tire. I think he still has sometimes the mechanical issues he's had in the past. I think his shoulder looks strong, but when he's not out there honing his craft, meaning uh, when he was out for the lineup, when he came back, sometimes he'd dip his shoulder and he'd come up with some mechanical things that he needs to tighten up. And I think Bill has has been good for him uh, from that standpoint. I think mechanically Josh uh, McDaniels has been good for him from that standpoint. And I think Cam is – is experiencing something he's never experienced of how detailed he needs to be in order to prepare uh, what's expected, at least from a Bill Belichick coach team. So uh, overall, I think it's been good for him, but mm-hmm. I think it's been disjointed as well. You think like some of that though, like how much of that is like, I don't know if I, like there was any point in your career where you were out for an extended period of time, but like, I, like the guy missed like a year and a half, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he was out the end of that end of 18, second half of 18 um, with the shoulder injury. He has surgery. He comes back. He gets the he almost right away has the foot injury. So now he misses that whole year. I, like you're talking, I think there about like you know it's a season and a half, but on a calendar it's like over a year where you're probably not doing a lot. So I would assume part of it's got to be that, right? Like just that, like when you're not working, when your focus is on rehabbing my shoulder, rehabbing my foot, it's really, really hard to stay sharp in other areas. Yeah, because you're, you're not on the field honing your craft. I mean, yeah. it, it's really what it is. And, and for Cam, it was interesting you bring up a good point because I talked to him at the Super Bowl this past year, and he said, he goes, Jim, my shoulder feels as good as it's ever felt. It's just now it's the foot issue. Yep. And you got to remember, you know, big part of his game is being mobile and things like that and throwing on the run and all the things he's capable of doing. And I think physically – he, you can tell he's as healthy as, as what he's been, but you can tell he's got to knock the rust off a little bit. He's not as fast where he's going to just outrun people like he used to. He's still an above-board athlete that is probably one of the most talented guys on the field. But much like Alex Smith coming back from two years of injury, Cam Newton's kind of still knocking the rust off uh, from that standpoint. And I hate to say this, after injuries like that, you're just not the same guy. You know, I've had mm-hmm. six surgeries on my shoulder uh, when I came back. Uh, from three of them, and, and I wasn't, I couldn't make the throws I, I could normally could make, and that's kind of a blow to your ego from that standpoint. Where right. he's kind of come to grips with that too. That hey, you know, I just can't do that like I used to be able to do that. And you've got to be more creative with, with how you approach things in order to be effective. Yeah, it's so interesting too because it's like you know, 
I don't know, like we look at like cams 31 now and you, you know, we, I think we sort of like look at these things a lot of the time and it's like, you know, like you just sort of like, cause of what breeze is doing and because of what Brady is doing, like you just sort of like have this assumption that everybody's going to make it that far. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we've changed the clock and like, like cam is like what used to be considered an older quarterback now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think about, I mean, just think about Peyton Manning for him, what he came back from, from his yep. shoulder. But I think we knew that wasn't the same Peyton Manning. His arm right. wasn't the same. You know, they had to s do certain things differently uh, within that offense to really uh, uh, accentuate what he was good at. He was more of a touch thrower uh, uh -huh. from, from that standpoint and still played great. Don't get me wrong. He's mentally as sharp and, and got the football out on time. But I think we knew he did not have the same fastball. And that's kind of like what, what Cam is. Cam's not the same player he used to, but he's still a high echelon player as a quarterback in the NFL. All right. So, like, do you see the same thing with Breeze then? Like, you know, you talk about what you saw with Peyton. You see the same thing with Breeze, like where I, before he got hurt, obviously, like where, like, is that, is it Denver in 2015? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like where a guy's like kind of like hanging on and the team's really good around him and there's like a young guy behind, like, like is this sort of like, is that a fair parallel like to Denver in 2015? Yeah. I, I yeah, I think that's a, a fair comparison. I, I think this is Drew Brees' last year. I, yeah. I think no matter how far they go, I think this is his last year. I think his arm isn't what it used to be. He's still sharp as a tack, uh, as we mentioned, but you can even see he can't take the physical beating like he used to. Last year was what, the hand? This year, now he's dealing with yep. uh, the ribs, and you can just tell it's 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 starting to get to him and the, and the age is creeping up. Okay, so we're talking about Breeze being potentially gone. We'll see who the quarterback is there next year. Cam's a free agent. Who knows what's going to happen with the Patriots going forward. Um and you mentioned to me off, but right before we came on here, that you think there could be some movement um, come the offseason, which last year we saw Rivers change addresses. We saw Jameis Winston, Tom Brady, like an unprecedented amount of quarterback movement. This year, Cam's a free agent. Rivers is technically a free agent. I don't think he's going anywhere else. He may retire, but I don't think yeah. he's going anywhere else. Um, Sam Darnold could be available. This could get interesting, Jim, right? Like where, you, you know, you could see a little bit of a, maybe a second phase to the game of musical chairs that we saw last year. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think there are some guys that are itching to be a starter again. Here you just bring up uh, Indianapolis. Jacoby Brissett wants another bite at the apple. You know, does, yeah. does he end up back with the Patriots? I mean, you look at Detroit's situation. You know, what's going to happen with Matt Patrician? I think what's even bigger, what happens with Matthew Stafford? You know, it, it hasn't worked in, in Detroit. The mandate is they were, were supposed to go to the playoffs this year. They just lost to a brand-new coach in Matt Rule and P.J. Walker, who's an undrafted free agent yeah. quarterback. So I think Detroit's going to get blown up. Where does Matthew Stafford uh, end up? Maybe and I think he can really play. Like yeah. I think Stafford can really I – mean, I, if I'm another team and he comes available – I should if I'm New England, if he comes available, like, I don't know. I mean, like – I like what Cam's done, but if Stafford were to come available, I would really look at that. Yeah, well, I, I would think he'd be a better, you know, with the, the entirety of their offense. I mean, think of all the passing uh, volumes. It's almost like an Encyclopedia Britannica mm -hmm. for 20 years of what Brady's been there. I think they could tap into all that with Matthew Stafford. So, yeah, I think that's a possibility. Hey, uh, I know it's Matthew Stafford. He's been great here in the community. I don't think anybody has a, a bad word to, to say about him, but – 
I just don't know if he inspires that team. I mean, they haven't won right. in the 10 years he's been here. He's thrown for an ungodly amount of yards. But with the new ownership, with the daughter taking over, I, I think it might be time to, to blow it up in Detroit. Okay. Um, before we get you out of here, you know, I know you you keep an eye on the college game, and so I just think this is going to be such an interesting year. You know, at that like with the with with the quarterbacks that are coming out, and Trevor Lawrence, we've known about for a long time, and you know, I think as great anticipation I can remember for a quarterback coming out probably since Luck. Yeah. You know, then after that, you probably I think Justin Fields got a chance to go second overall, and then there's like this group of quarterbacks that I think. You know, whether it's Trey Lance from North Dakota State, Mac Jones from Alabama, Kyle Trask from Florida, Zach Wilson from BYU. Like, I don't know that they're going to be six quarterbacks to go in the first round like you had in 1983, but it feels like there are six guys who have at least like a, a shot at it, like a puncher's chance of getting there, you know? Yeah. Um, so how much have you watched them and what are your impressions of the group? I have watched a, a lot of these quarterbacks and I do. I like this group. I think they're all extremely talented and I'm with you. I think they all have a chance. I'd probably put Trevor Lawrence at the top. I think we know. Mm -hmm. Well, one, here's what I preach about all these guys. They are playing. You know, some of these right. guys could have opted out this year. All right. They elected to play and obviously they're out there competing. I love the fact that Kyle Trask agreed to go to the uh, the Reese's Senior Bowl. I, I would keep your eyes on that Kyle Trask because the more I watch him, he reminds me of Ben Roethlisberger. I've seen him really? do pump fakes much like Big Ben and just how he's got that big arm to launch. I mean, this is a big guy that can move. Yeah, almost like uh, like I said, Big Ben and how he escapes and does the thing he does. So Kyle Trask, I really and his numbers. He's yeah. like his numbers aren't that far off from what Burrow was doing last year. I'm not. I'm not saying he's Burrow. I think Burrow's right. probably a better athlete, but uh, like it's not far off from what Burrow was yeah. last year, statistically at least. Yeah, I agree. And I, but he's to me, he's Big Ben. He's got the big arm. He can move. He's got escapability. So I'd probably, I'm kind of leaning him as my number two. Uh, when I see Justin Fields, I think he throws a, a beautiful football. Watched a, a couple of games this year. It's throws got a nice deep ball, timing, accuracy, big arm. He's probably not as quick twitch. I think we know, you know, you think your quarterbacks are the commodity, like Braxton Miller was a quick yeah. twitch guy. I don't think Justin Fields is as quick twitch as what, say, a Braxton Miller was, but I love his arm and how he uh, throws a football. The guy who's also growing on me is definitely Zach Wilson. I think for him, I mean – He's kind of got a little bit of Mahomes in him. If you watch him, some of the stuff that he does on the field, you're just like, whoa, it's kind of backyard football uh, for him. And he's a sneaky good athlete with how he can run. But he's got the swivel hips like Mahomes, deadly accurate with the ball and how he runs with it. So, Zach Wilson, I keep your eye on him on BYU. Better arm than what I expected uh, from him. But they're 9-0. We'll see where it goes for Zach. But he's growing on me as well. Trey Lance would probably be the last guy. He'd be my lowest-ranked guy. I've got to do more homework on him. I know he's a, a guy who can run and do a lot of things. Want to see more arm strength from him. So I've got to do a little bit more homework. So I'd probably put him at, at the bottom out of all the quarterbacks that you just listed. And I'll tell you what, like Jim Miller just sent me to YouTube because I got to take a second look at Kyle Trask now and see if I see the Ben thing. That's really interesting. I, it's it's going to be a fascinating offseason when it comes to all of that. All right, he's Jim Miller. You can catch him on SiriusXM Radio, on Twitter, and I don't have your Twitter. Like, Where can people follow you and, and all of that? Sure, at Jim Miller underscore NFL on, on Twitter is my handle. Okay, great. Former NFL quarterback Jim Miller. Jim, always appreciate the conversation. Thanks for coming out. You bet, Albert. Be well, my friend. 
All right, thanks to Jim Miller for all the insight on quarterbacking across the NFL. And now it's time for our fantasy segment. We will bring in uh, the original, original author of the Stardom Sidham column. He's been doing it for 20 years. Um, and also, our guy when it comes to our DraftKings bargains and fades every week. He's from SI.com. Michael Fabiano, welcome in. How are you, my man? Happy Thanksgiving. And happy Thanksgiving to you, too. Let's start here. Um, you know, I I think this, this is something we talked about last week. And I guess in the fantasy world, it's causing some issues, right? Like, so mm-hmm. I, you, you mentioned you gave some people some advice last week. Taysom Hill could be had as a tight end on um on espn.com up until mm-hmm. last week and now i guess that's changed right like so kind of explain to the people out there what happened and and why it's i mean kind of uh, turned into espn kicking the hornet's nest right so here's the situation espn got cute right Taysom hill we know that he is a jack of all trades mm-hmm. he lines up at tight end he lines up at wide receiver plays a little bit of quarterback So going into the season, they decided that since Drew Brees was the starter and Jameis Winston was projected to be the number two, that in order for people to use Taysom Hill, they were going to list him as a tight end. Mm -hmm. And he was a tight end for 11 weeks. Okay. Now for me, I've never seen a player's eligibility removed in season ever. I've seen eligibility added, but I've never seen it removed. So whatever the requirements were for Taysom Hill to be listed as a tight end on ESPN's platform, he had met those requirements. He ends up being the number two quarterback ultimately and takes over for Drew Brees, who goes down with uh, like 358 cracked ribs, right? And now ESPN is in a bad spot because they incorrectly listed his as a tight end not thinking that it was within the realm of possibility that Taysom Hill would play quarterback this season. Right. People complained on the platform because if you're not in a two QB league, you shouldn't be able to start two QBs. And I totally get it. I understand that. But ESPN made that option possible by listing Taysom as a tight end. So they left him at tight end last week and he was exactly what I thought he was going to be. I had Travis Kelsey ranked one. And if you were playing on ESPN, Taysom Hill was two at tight end. And that's exactly what happened. So now ESPN goes back and says, well, we've got to take his eligibility at tight end away because he's a quarterback. But he was a tight end for 11 weeks. And whatever requirements that you you set for Hill to be a tight end, he met. So why take it away? Like, And I understand both sides of it, but ESPN, I won't play on that platform ever again. Because you can't do that. You're causing you're causing drama within your leagues that is unnecessary. And I, I've seen situations in fantasy baseball, which is different, but fantasy baseball, they do it right over at ESPN, where say Gleyber Torres for the Yankees, I'm going to use a Yankee because I'm a diehard fan, mm-hmm. uh, is the second baseman for the entire 2019 season. And then in 2020, the Yankees are going to move him to shortstop. Well, he's still drafted as a second baseman because that's where he played the previous year. And then once he makes 10 appearances at shortstop, then he's eligible at both. That's the way you do it. You don't take away eligibility. You add eligibility. This happened with Joe Webb. You remember Joe Webb for the Vikings? He was a wide receiver. He played quarterback, though. Mm -hmm. Quarterback was added to his eligibility, but wide receiver was not removed. So to me, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And there's a lot of guys at ESPN I love that are great. One guy in particular I don't really care for. But for the most part, I love those guys. And they're very smart. This was just a bad decision. 
So like basically you can't like so I had this straight like you, you can't play him at tight end anymore. Nope. FanDuel had him at tight end last week too, but DFS is different. But that's like different. It's a week it's to a week, week, thing. week thing, right? Yeah, right. And, so and I don't really think matter. I don't think he's on there anymore. I think he's only a quarterback. So oh. uh, probably the biggest drama outside of you know COVID and injuries this year is uh, uh, the Taysom Hill tight end eligibility drama, which is now over, but it stinks. It, it stinks. Right. Well, think, right. I mean, think about it, <laughs> Albert. So, like, what happens? What happens if you used a lot of fab budget on Taysom Hill? Because you wanted to play him at tight end. Or maybe you gave up waiver priority because you wanted to play him at tight end. Or what happens if you really had a bad tight end situation? You were good at quarterback. You were okay at running back and you decided, I don't really want to drop Damian Harris, for example. But I have to because I need Taysom Hill at tight end. Not only do you lose Damian Harris, who ultimately likely got picked up by somebody else, but now you can't play Taysom Hill because you were good at quarterback. It's a mess. Okay. Um Drama aside, this has been that drama aside. We've had a lot of drama this year with guys coming off the COVID list, guys mm-hmm. going on the COVID list. Um, doesn't seem like there's going to be any difference this week either. Uh, the first game, um, the first set of games we're getting this week is going to be affected by it because the Ravens have a situation that they're dealing with and they play on Thursday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so we're going to get into your DFS picks for the week, your bargains and fades presented by DraftKings for the week. I, I, I want to ask you, like, first, like, how much is, should it affect people people are doing this weekend? And, like, how nervous would you be about buying in on Ravens um, when it comes to tomorrow? Well, because we don't really, we want to think about, like, like, just so people know what I'm getting at here. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, because it's a Thursday night game they're not really on the practice field. Like, so right. like we, like there's still like kind of like a lot of, I would say a lot of uncertainty there. Yeah, there is there. There's not a lot of Ravens to love this week. Okay. Like I don't have Lamar Jackson in my top 10 at quarterback. Lamar Jackson's been the biggest bust in fantasy football this year. Mm-hmm. He's had a few good games. He has been a bust based on where he's been drafted. Yeah. And in the two games he's played against Pittsburgh, he's done nothing. Yeah. Nothing earlier this season. They held them a 14.8. So, like, I'd play Taysom Hill over Lamar Jackson this week. Wow. That's, isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, the good news is that we know that Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins are not playing. Right. Which means Gus the Bus is going to get a full workload. Yep. Uh, they'll get Justice Hill in, in there as well. But Gus had, what, 87 and a touchdown against them earlier this season. So, he's, like, in the RB2 flex uh, spotlight. Mark Andrews is, is too valuable to ever sit because tight end is weak. And – you're not starting any Ravens wide receivers. I mean, Hollywood Brown stinks this year. He's yeah. terrible. I mean, whether or not it's his fault, that offense is just not throwing the ball. So uh, there, there's really two Ravens that you could start with with some level of confidence, and one of them is not Lamar Jackson. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So okay. So maybe 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 I made a bigger deal out of that than than needed to be made. Well, no. I mean, not practicing obviously is yeah. not good for anybody unless you're Ben Roethlisberger. Right. Right. Okay. Well, why, why don't you go fire away then with all of your 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 DF again presented by DraftKings your DFS bargains and fades for for week twelve now. Right. And we're gonna just do you know the Sunday games uh, yep. for 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 this edition here. Uh, Taysom Hill, who I mentioned. Yeah, uh, sixty-two hundred dollars against Denver. Derek Carr is a good play at fifty-seven hundred dollars. Daniel Jones, nice play at fifty-five hundred dollars uh, for the Giants. Savan Ahmed, 
I love saying that name at $5,100 as long as Miles Gaskin is out. Uh, Wayne Gallman had a touchdown in four straight games before the bye. I like him against the Bengals at five grand. And then James White's back in the mix in New England's backfield with Rex Burkhead out. Uh, he's a good bargain at $4,500. Albert, did you know in the last four weeks, Curtis Samuel is the wide receiver 10? 10. Wow. And he's $5,100 right now on DraftKings. Uh, Michael Pittman's at fifty uh, at 5000 And then Nelson Aguilar. I mean, he's been good. Guy's got six touchdowns already this year. And Atlanta stinks. So $4,900, I like that. At tight end, Evan Ingram at $4,500. Hayden Hurst, even though he had a stinker last week. And then Austin Hooper at $38 apiece. Uh, both good plays for me. My fades this week, uh, Phillip Rivers against the Titans at $6,100. Jared Goff, by the way, Jared Goff drives me nuts. He stinks against Seattle and then has a big game across the country against Tampa on the road. Go figure. But I don't like him uh, at his price this week. Ryan Tannehill is also going to be a fade in that Tennessee-Indianapolis game. At running back, Ronald Jones, because I just don't know. I said to sit him last week. So if I'm going Costanza opposite, maybe I'd play him, but I, I don't trust him at $6,100. Uh, Damian Harris is a bit of a fade for me, too, at $5,800 uh, for two reasons. One, if Sony Michelle is active, uh, he, Harris will lose some, some carries. And then number two, the Cardinals are going to score a ton of points which means I think James White might be the better option there in New England. Uh, Melvin Gordon, who had a big game last week, but the Saints defense is nasty against running backs. I'm fading him at wide receiver, Christian Kirk, Jamison Crowder. I like him better if Darnold plays. Otherwise, I'd fade him. Uh, Jacoby Myers all fades for me at tight end. Tyler Higby against the Niners, Jordan Reed against the Rams, and Jared Cook, who has disappeared over the last couple of weeks, even at $3,500 is not somebody that I'd play on DraftKings. It's interesting you brought up Curtis Samuel, and that name got my attention, not just because he's a Buckeye, but he's one of the guys, like, to me, like, when I look at, like, what Joe Brady's done on offense in Carolina, like, Curtis Samuel is a good example of somebody who's being used creatively and differently mm-hmm. than I think most coaches would use him, which is how he was used in college. And so I just think, like, for fantasy players and football fans in general, like, watch what Joe Brady does you know, over the next few, like, I just think there's going to be some real, like whether, and he'll be a head coach before too long, but like just mm-hmm. anyone who's playing for any, any CO player who's playing for Joe Brady, keep an eye on those guys. Cause you know, there's a little bit of Sean Payton magic going on there. And we saw the level of skill per, per player that he produced um, mm-hmm. out of LSU. Some of the guys are already in the NFL, like Edwards, Alaire and, um, and, and, and obviously Justin Jefferson and, and the guy we're going to see next year, who's the real monster, Jamar chase. Um, so, Anyway, let's jump over to the fantasy side then. Um, again, as we always say here in this segment, Fabs is the original author of the Stardom Sidham column, been going for 20 years, Who and, and you can always read that every week on, on SI.com. Uh, Fabs, what do you got Stardom Sidham for week 12? Uh, let's start with the quarterbacks. Uh, Taysom Hill's in play this week. Obviously, Cam Newton against the Cardinals. Tom Brady had a stinker last week. I get it, and everyone's crapping on him that's when Brady is going to put up a good number. So I think that's going to be a high-scoring game against Kansas City. Uh, I mentioned Derek Carr is a good play. Matt Ryan's in play if Julio Jones is active. If he's not, I am not touching Matt Ryan. At running back, uh, Todd Gurley's a good play against the Raiders despite a stinker last week. Antonio Gibson against my Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Uh, We mentioned Gus Edwards and Wayne Gallman and Salvan Ahmed, all good plays 
uh, in traditional fantasy football leagues at wide receiver. Justin Jefferson, you may look on paper and think the matchup's not good. Carolina's been bad against wide receivers on the road this season. Uh, don't fear the Raven. I'm starting all of my Steelers wide receivers, including Chase Claypool. Wow, I like man. Robbie Anderson and all the Panthers wide receivers. Uh, I like him more if Teddy Bridgewater can come back. Brandon Cooks, it's only right to start a dude named Cooks on Thanksgiving, Albert. So you start him against the Lions. Devontae Parker also uh, a flex starter this week against the Jets at tight end. Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, TJ Hawkinson, and Dalton Schultz, who has 21 targets in his last three games for the Cowboys, all in play as starters. Guys, I'm sitting. Carson Wentz has got a great matchup this week. I don't care. I don't trust it. I just don't trust him. He hasn't been good. He's got 14 picks. Uh, Seattle's defense has been better lately. Maybe the uh, the return of Jamal Adams has helped, but I don't trust Carson Wentz. I'm fading Ryan Tannehill and Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins this week. And Baker Mayfield's got the Jaguars. Their defense is a mess. It's all banged up. I still don't trust Baker. He's had one good game all year. And I think he's just going to be handing the ball off to Chubb and Hunt this weekend. And, and I don't think game script is going to be in his favor as well. So uh, Baker's uh, a fade for me at running back. You probably have to play Melvin Gordon. You don't have to like it. Uh, I don't know who's the starting running back going to be for the Niners. Is Raheem Mostert going to come back? I mean, he's eligible. It could be McKinnon. Regardless, the Rams are nasty good against the run. Uh, speaking of the Rams, Daryl Henderson has lost that featured role in L.A. Fade him. Uh, Damian Harris is a risk if Sony Michelle is active this week. Duke Johnson has really been bad from a fantasy perspective ever since David Johnson has gone out onto the uh, injured reserve list. He's got the Lions on Thanksgiving Day, but I don't trust him. So he is he is a risk-reward flex. Uh, at wide receiver, T. Higgins, and I love T. Higgins. I think he's going to be a star in this league. Uh, that's a big downgrade from Joe Burrow to Brandon Allen. Ooh, that one's going to hurt. Uh, Hollywood Brown should not only be benched, but dropped in leagues. Uh, the Niners' number one wide receiver, it could be Brandon Ayuk, but he's on the COVID list. Debo Samuel could be back, whoever it is. Sidham, Corey Davis, Mike Williams also fades for me. And at tight end, Jared Cook, Jimmy Graham, Jordan Reed, and Tyler Higby all on my Sidham list. Lots of Raven slander here. I, I guess we know who Fabs has got on Thursday night, right? <laughs> well, I mean, Pittsburgh's undefeated. They're at home. You know, the Ravens have yeah. the COVID thing going on. Like this, Albert, is when, when we look back, and I've said yeah. this for two decades, beware the magical season. When we look back and think, boy, I tell you something, everybody is all over player X. There's no way he could stink next year. He's a stud. Remember back to the Lamar Jackson example of 2020. All right. Um, now for the real question. What do you got planned for, for Thursday? Oh, dude. Uh, so lots of turkey. I, I, I cook, so I, I do it up, man. Homemade cranberry sauce, all that kind of stuff. Although, you know, a lot of people love homemade stuffing. I love stovetop. Stovetop to me is the best stuffing out there. I, I don't know. I just love it. So I'm going stovetop. That's easy. I'm going to chill out, probably, you know, go into a trip to fan coma if the Cowboys get their butts kicked by Washington, but watching a lot of football and just enjoying the time off. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you know, we don't get a lot of time off during football season. We're blessed. We love to do it, but it will be nice to actually be able to rest a little bit. Rest yeah, the brain. I'll tell you what, like the best thing about like the Thanksgiving games for me, because like when we were, you know, when I was in NFL Network, I would be covering the Lions game a lot because I got family mm -hmm. in Detroit. Now, now being in this role, like the best thing about like football games on Thanksgiving for me is that like I can just kind of sit back and watch. You know what I mean? Like, I know. You know, yeah, I don't exactly. get a chance to do that very often, so it's great to be able to do that. Why, well, yep. Babs? Um, I ho hope that you and your family have a great, safe Thanksgiving. As different as this one might be from the rest of them, mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, hopefully you guys can can make the best of it. 
You too. Uh, best wishes to you and your family, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. Thanks, Fabs. We'll be right back after this. All right. Thanks to Fabs. Thanks to Jim Miller. We're going to get right into the six pack now. You guys know how that works. We wrap up every show with the six pack every week on Tuesday. I put the call out for questions on Twitter. I think I did it on Wednesday this week, actually. I pick six. If I pick yours, you get a like on Twitter. That means I hit that little heart and you get an answer here on the podcast. And if I don't get to you here on the podcast, check out the mailbag, check out the video mailbag. I might get you there. Question number one is coming from Philly. Philly at coach Chris Liu. COVID question several weeks ago, games were being postponed, bets moved, et cetera, due to COVID cases. Fast forward to now and COVID cases are no different than a hamstring injury. What changed? Philly, Philly, I would tell you what changed is that the NFL's margin for error shrank. We're now at the point where 30 of the 32 teams have had their bye weeks. In order to get the season finished on time, um, they are going to need to play these games and as many of them as possible. And the television networks want their inventory. The goal all along has been to play 256 games in 17 weeks, if not play 256 games in 18 weeks. The owners voted through um, contingency plans that basically telegraph that they really want the Super Bowl to be played on February 7th. I think that's related to the fact that they want to have the 2021 um, offseason be a relatively normal one, a more normal one. I think it's also, you know, uh, indicative of the fact that the Super Bowl is going to be tough to pull off this year anyway. Moving it would be very difficult. So I think the goal is to get this season played um, and finish the season on time, if not a week late, which would allow you to play the Super Bowl on time. And what that's going to mean going forward is teams are going to be without players. Teams are going to be without, you know, it's possible quarterbacks. We could see teams play without a star pass rusher, star corners. I think there's sort of this agreement there. And look, the the players are with them on this because this is about getting paid. And this could be about getting paid not just this year, but going forward. Because if you can, if you do right by the television networks, good chance you get the TV deals done after this year. You get the TV deals done, done after this year. Maybe that helps you manage the cap the next few years where we're not talking about the same sort of drop in cap space in 2021, 22, and 23. So, you know, I think this is as much about getting the television networks their inventory as anything. And if that means that certain teams have to go without star players, well, I think what the teams and the players are going to say is that's what everybody signed up for back in August. Question number two from the DM as at Ruckett. What's more likely this offseason, the Patriots trade Gilmore or extend him with their expected excess cap space? I think Gilmore's gone after this year. I think they try to trade him. Um, we'll see how that plays out. I think part of it's going to depend on you know how much he... Uh, I think part of that's going to depend on how he plays the rest of the year. Um, and you know, I think the hope would have to be that you get something like what Detroit got for Darius Slay. Remember, this was a similar situation. Darius Slay was seeking a third contract. He was going into a contract year. And the Eagles wound up get or the Lions wound up getting third and fifth round picks for him. I think if the Patriots can get that sort of haul for Stefan Gilmore after the year, I think they do it. Question number three from Nifty. That's at Big and if Tizzle, I think it is. Um, there is no way the Jets keep Gase correct. Also, have any names surfaced about possible replacements? I guess the Jets situation is a little unpredictable just because of Woody Johnson. Um, his situation um, when he comes back from the UK and all the rest of that. I think major decisions in New York have sort of, I think they've slow played some of them just because um, everybody there knows what he's coming back. And so, um, you know, I don't think that we see anything happen 
right now with Adam Gase. Um, but I also don't think that he's the coach there in 2021. As for possible replacements, I would sort of kind of just keep an eye on the college level um, there. And part of the reason why is because that's where Joe Douglas is. Connect- Joe Douglas has a ton of connections there. I think we've seen some success from some college coaches. Cliff Kingsbury's done a good job in Arizona. Matt Rule, I think, has been outstanding um, with a job that he's done in uh, in in Carolina. So I, it wouldn't be surprising if I saw Joe D pull some of his connect pull on some of his connections at the college level. And a name I love there, and I've been touting this name for two years. Uh, now is Matt Campbell from Iowa State. The Jets actually kicked the tires on him earlier, um, a couple of years ago when they during the the hiring cycle when they when they went after Gaze. Um, Campbell was sort of his name was bounced around with the Browns and the Jets. He pulled his name out of the running for the Jets job. So the Jets have already done some vetting on him, and clearly, I think ownership at least knows who he is, what he's about and what he would bring to the team. Question number four, this is from Tom Marshall at Red Zone Knock. Uh, is Mike Tomlin one of the most underappreciated head coaches in the NFL? Absolutely, Tom. I think the, the Steelers' ability to, to handle this season the way that they have is 100% reflective of it. Um, and I think that you know, on a larger scale, his ability to handle different personalities, to handle people, is spectacular. And it's one of the reasons why, over the years, the the Steelers have always been able to cast a wider net from a talent standpoint. Why do you think they can take chances on guys like Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and Martavius Bryant? I mean, we've seen over and over again, how many different personalities they've had there. James Harrison, Greg Lloyd. I mean, if we want to go back, Kevin green, like just that's always been one of the more eclectic teams in the NFL. And that's because they've always had coaches. And this goes back to Bill Cowher. And I think even Chuck Noll. they've always had coaches who can, handle personalities who can handle different lock different types of people who can handle locker rooms and so i think that's you know one of the things mike tomlin brings to the table that's definitely definitely underrated question number five from g that's at g hail bal sala um are the bengals going to fire the staff if they lose the rest of their games or are they actually committed to building around burrow i think they are committed to building around burrow and I don't think the staff's in trouble there. And I think the staff, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if their staff changes after the year. I will say that. I don't think it will be at the top, though. I think Zach Taylor's done a nice job. I think he's, you know, at least built a foundation there. And I think the infrastructure they put in place to work with Burrow and not only Zach, but also Brian Callahan and Dan Pitcher is pretty good. And so I think that there is a solid foundation there, despite the lack of winning the first two years. I think this is the pain that any new coach in Cincinnati was going to have to go through. So I think they stick with Zach um, long term. I like the 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 I, I the one thing I've heard floated out there a little bit was oh would they look at maybe you know pairing Joe Brady with Joe Burrow again? It's a fun idea, but I do think that they pick with Zach Taylor. Stick with Zach Taylor. Question number six. Last question for the week's from Jack, Zachary Warren. That's at rally underscore squirrel. I'm a big fan of Zimmer, but his insistence on a heavy run approach is frustrating. I'm also a big fan of Spielman, but him not fixing the offensive line is mind-blowing. Does Viking ownership seem ready to move on? No. I think this was on the table at the end of last year. They made a conscious decision to move forward with Mike Zimmer as their coach. He got a three-year extension. My understanding is that was a very real three-year extension. He's making between 8 and $9 million a year. I do not think they move on from Mike Zimmer. I do not think that they move on from Rick Spielman. And I actually think we've seen some good signs this year on the management of that team. 
they made the decision to start to work with younger, to, to, to start to make an emphasis with more younger players. That's why they were open for business around the trade deadline. They, you know, wind up getting the capital back that they gave up in essence for Yannick and Gakwe. Um, you know, like you, you, some of the older players in the roster were at least available ahead of the trade deadline. I know their thinking is we need to start to get younger and we need to start to think about this thing as a, okay, like where are we at in 2022, 2023 type of thing. And you see some of the young players contributing now, which is great. You know, you're Justin Jefferson's, you're Irv Smith's, you're Jeff Gladney's. Like the younger players are playing bigger roles, which with the age of that core um, being what it is, what it has been and where it's going is a godsend, godsend for that Vikings team. Appreciate you guys coming out. As always, I want your feedback. I love your feedback. We need your feedback. We will incorporate your feedback. You can get me on Twitter at Albert Breer, on Facebook at Albert R. Breer, on Instagram at Albert underscore Breer. Or you can really help us out by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. And also, you guys should be listening to the other MMQB podcast too, the MMQB Monday podcast and gambling podcast with uh, Gary and friends. That is you know, on its own feed now. And as is Jenny and Connor's week side podcast, you can get those two podcasts and my podcast. All you got to do is hit the subscribe button three times on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. We're there. Same time next week. I'll see you guys then. Yeah.